Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I'm your host, Melissa Brunetti. In this second season of Mind Your Own Karma, we're tackling the subject of adoption. Yes, adoption most of the time is a wonderful experience. You have the generous birth parents, the excited adoptive parents, and this lucky little baby. Everyone lives happily ever after, right? But what I want you to know is there's so much more to these stories. I'm an adoptee myself, and I want to bring all sides of the adoption journey to you in hopes to educate you and to bring understanding to this subject. We're about to get real and raw here, so let's dive right in. Hey there, Karma Crew. It's Melissa, your host, and today I have a special guest, Becca. She is a fellow podcaster, and she offered to come on the show and tell us about her adoption journey. Becca Ray Eagle is a wife, mom to a college-age son, debuting author, podcaster, writing coach, journal creator, and soul tender. Becca helps women recall their voice to beckon more joy from life, one pause at a time. Becca is the owner of Beckon More Joy, LLC, that launches July 7th, 2022 where you'll find one-on-one writing coaching, teen journals, and journal retreat offerings. You'll also find samples of her books that will be published in winter and spring of 2023. Becca was placed for adoption in 1975 and found her birth family in 2017. It's never too late to put love at the heart of any relationship, especially with those who gave you the gift of life. And without further ado... Here is my interview with Becca Ray Eagle. Yeah, nice having you on the show. This is Rebecca. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Good morning. And let's just jump right in. Do you know the story behind why you were put up for adoption? Yeah, so I've learned it from both perspectives, from you know the folks who raised me and then finally meeting my birth family. But my mom was 19 years old, and she was from a pretty, I guess you would call it serious, <laughs> Catholic family. And news of my presence in her womb was not accepted with joy um, <laughs> at all, especially since she had just finished high school and had plans on going to community college and everything else. So my family encouraged her to give me up for adoption. She and my dad had only been dating for about a year at that time, and he was uh, two years older than her, and they just were not ready to start a family. So that's why I was given up for adoption. My mom was 19 as well and going to community college and yeah, kind of the same, same deal. Um, so did you, did, did you know you were adopted? I did. I, um had a lot of questions to my family just because when I was about three years old, my adoptive mom was pregnant and it was a really exciting time for us. And we were really looking forward to welcoming a natural baby into, you know, our world. Unfortunately, there were some pretty serious complications. My mom lost my brother and um, she had to give birth to him and he he had passed. So she had diabetes and lots of problems. But around that time, we started talking about babies and families and everything else. And I was fascinated with Disney's The Rescuers, which happens to do with orphans and orphanages and just the whole topic. And so adoption kind of just 
came up when I was about three years old. So they told me around that time that I was adopted and kind of an idea of what that was about. So from that point on, I was very curious about the whole thing and the difference between how I ended up in my family's arms and how, you know, my baby brother would have had he, um, we had my mom not lost him. Yeah. So do you remember that conversation at three years old? I kind of do. Really? Because it was, it was jarring to me in a way. Um, just the whole thought, I, I honestly felt rejection. Um, you know, even as a little girl, like why, why would people, cause I didn't understand what it was like to be a 19 year old and pregnant, you know, not when you're three years old, but to understand that they didn't, they kind of put it as my mom didn't have the money to take good care of me, you know, to provide me with food, shelter, and clothing, you know, that made sense to me. But I honestly felt a sense of rejection, um, even at that early age for something like that. And to think that this, this little baby was going to come into our lives and have everything, you know, and it was devastating for my mom. Uh, she even, she, she honestly grieved about it till the, till the day she passed, you know, herself. Yeah. How was your relationship with your adopted family? My relationship with them was interesting. I could tell that they were very happy to have me. Um, I was their first child. And then two years after uh, my baby brother, Kevin, had passed away and never got to join our family, they adopted my brother, John. So they adopted another child thinking they would never have kids. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the family was growing. I was happy to be there, but I never really felt like I fit in personality wise. Um, I always wanted to be outside and playing and busy and exploring. And I was very connected to nature. And I don't know, today you would have said I have like ADD, ADHD, because I had so much energy and I was very creative. And that just didn't jive well with my mom. Uh, she was a speech pathologist and took some time off to have a baby and, you know, raise us and everything. But we were definitely different spirits and not kindred spirits. And my dad was a very serious businessman. And I remember him coming home, you know, in the evenings and mom making sure he had a great meal and, and things like that. And I loved hanging out with my dad, but I got to see him for like an hour a day and it was usually like watching MASH, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But I really loved my dad and I felt more cozy with my dad because his personality was a lot more, even though for a businessman, when he came home, he was funny. He was laid back. He he just got me more. Um, and I didn't realize when I was little the pain that my mom was going through and, you know, losing my brother and everything else. So I don't know. She had her own things going on and she loved me. She was a great mom, but we just, we didn't get each other. Yeah. So you, they adopted you first and then were they thinking they couldn't have children and that's why they adopted? Yeah. They, they really thought after that complication with, with Kevin that, that they couldn't have another baby or bring the baby fully to term and everything. Because I think, you know, we didn't talk about it that much, but I think it was like a week, literally a week before Kevin was, you know, due date that he, uh, that he passed. So yeah, they didn't feel like that they could have, um, any kids naturally. And then, and then my brother, 
they adopted my brother and then they got pregnant. Yeah. Out of the blue, my adoptive sister is uh, their one and only, they call, they called her their miracle baby. And uh, so there were three of us. So they adopted you and then they got pregnant. So they were successful in having a child then later. Yeah, totally unexpected and it actually probably terrifying for your mom (laughs) it it was because we were all settled my dad's job like a lot of jobs in the 80s was outsourced to other countries we had to move our whole family to mexico i was six my brother was four and we're there a couple months and my mom gets pregnant my mom's like oh no (laughs) we are not going through this in a you know, country that I don't even know can take care of my diabetes and my complications with pregnancy. So we left my dad and we moved back home with my grandparents just so that my mom could have my sister safely. And then my dad, unfortunately, and my mom were at that point, you know, physically separated, but still married. So we had two different families going on, one in Mexico and one um, in my little town in uh, central New York. So, um, did you, you decided to find your biological family. So tell us a little bit about that and how was your adopted family with you searching or did they even know you were searching? So we didn't really talk about it much growing up, but I was very grateful to have such a loving family. They were very good to me. Um, my family still remained physically separated due to my dad's job until I was in fourth grade. So my dad finally, quote unquote, came home in fourth grade was home for a year and then got outsourced again. I I grew up knowing <laughs> what the economy looked like uh, very, very consciously. But um, we did have that nice year with dad and everything. But, you know, so high school went on, middle school, high school, everything else. And we come to a project my senior year in my psychology class. They want you to tell about your development and everything to do with yourself great. You know, so I'm like, well, I don't have that information. I can't do the project. Nope. You're going to do the project and you're going to figure it out. Are you serious? So I had to go home and have these uncomfortable conversations with my family who really did not want to talk about it um, at all, (laughs) but they did, you know, they gave me the basic information, the biological information. And they showed me for the first time when I was, I don't know, like, yeah, I was like 17. It was early. It was early on my senior year. And so they showed me my adoption file, my adoption papers, but they never showed me my birth certificate, anything like that. I never knew anything but my first name, which is Rebecca. That was baby Rebecca. And so they kind of had to talk to me about it for a school project. Um, And, you know, that was uncomfortable, but we put it behind us. But then I go to college. I'm in the honors program at Fernoni State University, and it's a culture, ethnicity, identity class. And I am presented with the same stinking project again. And I'm like, you're not putting my family through this again. Are you serious? Like, I'm sitting here going, all these people know what they are, who they are, celebrate their culture. And my teacher, my professor, I became really good friends with her over this project over the next four years, because she said, you are more than you know, your biology, you need to talk about your adoption story. That is your culture, your ethnicity. But at the same time, I said to her, I said, it is, but it isn't. I don't feel like I belong. You know, I love these people so much, but I, I just don't feel like I belong. And 
something didn't set with me right. So I got an A plus on the project, got to know my grandparents more, which was amazing. It was so beautiful to get to know my grandparents. You raised me. Your biological grandparents or your... No, my adoptive. And really, you know, I was like coming to grips with, okay, this is my family, you know, because they, they raised me. But at the same time, it still didn't set well. So when I became, when I graduated from college, I remember it was around my 19th birthday. I said, you know what? I'm an adult now and I'm going to do this on my own terms. And I paid New York State the money to try to find my family and they came up short. They, everything was closed. They couldn't tell me nothing. So I paid money for nothing. And I think around the time, so it was 1998. Yeah, it was 1998. It was probably like $90 and I did it twice. So what were they saying that they could give you that, or what, what, I mean, things were things open because I thought New York state, the like adoption records were closed and they used to be, and there have been some changes, which is how my adoptive brother found his parents, which is a whole other story. He, he, he's got his own adoption story, but, um, yeah, I mean, I tried twice. I, it was around $90. I did it twice within the series of, I remember it was like between 98 and when I got married the first time, because I wanted this information. If I was thinking about having children, I wanted information. I wanted to look at my child and be able to tell them about their biological history, about their true ethnicity, you know, everything else, even though, you know, how I was raised and everything is more a part of my story than what bloodline I come from. Yeah. Wow. So they gave you no answers. So how did you find eventually what happened? I, you know, I was miffed. I was pretty angry. And then I go to, you know, get married the first time and I'm still having issues with it. But then I got pregnant. Uh, My one year anniversary present when I got married the first time was, hey, you're expecting. And at this point, I was pretty adamant on finding information. So I knew one other avenue I could go and I was adopted. I was adopted, but I had religious records. My family somehow had me baptized in my mom's home church before I went into foster care. And people have kept very quiet around what happened between the day I was born and then my baptism date, which was in March, I was born in February. And then when I was finally adopted out, which was in May, that time between I've been told I was in foster care, I wasn't picked up, I wasn't loved, I wasn't taken care of. I don't know what stories are true. I mean, my mom may have just been trying to scare me, but I was still called baby Rebecca when they got me. That's all I know. But so how did you know that you had been baptized? Did your adoptive parents have records of that? They didn't. I had to get them to get married in the Catholic Church. I had to go grabbing my records. So I knock, knock, knock on the little door of the church that the town that I was baptized in. Hi, this is who I am. This is my you know, baptismal record. I also want to know who my parents are because this is unfair. And they stood there and they cried. They literally stood there, cried. I cried. I was shaking. They knew who my parents were because guess what? My parents lived across the street 
from the church. Oh my gosh. So they, they yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> they probably yeah. still go, were going there. My mom worked for that Catholic school at one time, not when I went over, but I'm like, this is unreal. I'm like, you can't even tell me out of, you know, the good of humanity. I'm with child. I'm standing here with my own child and you won't tell me. And I just, I left like a mess. I remember walking up and down that street and I told my dad the story before he passed my birth dad and he just cried. He's like, Rebecca, you were walking in front of our house where you would have been raised. It just too uncanny. So I struck out with the state. I struck out with the church and I had to leave it alone. I'm like, okay, obviously the universe does not want me to find um, what's going on. And so until was the year 2017 I left it alone and then it came and found me um my uh adoptive mom had cancer our mother through cancer and I will never forget that but so of course I'm staying in this house you know it's free lodging while I go visit mom because I had lived in Colorado at the time and there on the floor is this little like plastic cruddy looking crate you know the stuff that you keep old documents in and and i was just like oh i wonder what these are you know just interested you know see if there's anything that what it was you know because it was sitting there in the middle of the floor in the room i was staying and up like a little past the rest of the papers i see michelle adoption i'm like oh my god i mean literally my heart stopped i couldn't breathe i was like whoa i've been looking for these papers i had torn apart my mom's closet i had torn apart her i did when i was a teenager so angry i went looking for these things and couldn't find them and there it was for the first time you know it's it's 2017 wow and there's these papers and i open it up and i finally see my original name the full name all the papers all the documents i'm like you only showed me one little stack of papers from like the social worker and that, that, that paper, you know, I, I cherished and yeah. I, you know, oh, yeah. you know, I had stolen the copy of that years ago, you know, there was a copy of that and I had that in my possession, but I mean, I stood there and I'm like, Oh my God, I literally like, I know my name and I had to go for it. I'm like, I, I know my name. I know my, the church, I know the town. I'm going to figure this out. So I started with looking on Facebook with people with my name. I'm like, all right, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look up Tobin and I'm going to look up Cortland, New York. And who did I find? But the mayor of Cortland at the time was Tobin. I mean, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to contact the mayor on Facebook. I'm going to be really, really gutsy. And I'm like, maybe he's my dad. You know, (laughs) like I didn't know. But he wasn't related to me at all. But he is the one who contacted me back through Facebook. And ironically, my uncle, my mom's brother, had worked for him some in some capacity for the city of Cortland. And uh, my mom's other brother had been a really big person in the sports community, um, helping youth in the sports community, like coaching, all that kind of stuff. So that name was well known and that's why I was such a problem because, Oh, you know, you know, good Catholic family doesn't have, you know, kids out of wedlock in 1975, but he connected me. He called my uncle and said, Hey, I have this email. 
Can you come in and read it? My uncle read it, called me in Colorado. I'm sitting there ready to start my school year. It was the first day of school in Colorado. So I had gotten back from New York in the meantime. It had been like a week maybe after all this had transpired between me visiting my mom and then going back to Colorado. And I'm getting my classroom ready and I get this phone call. And you can imagine the world stopped. I did not go to my meeting. Nope. I'm in my classroom on the phone with my uncle. And he said, well, I have, I want to ask your permission if I can share, you know, your contact information with your dad. I'm like, my dad, why not my mom? He's like, well, I'm sorry, your mom passed away. I'm like, oh, you know, so I literally collapsed to the floor bawling you know on the phone with a man I'd never met I'm like no I wanted to meet mom you know and you know I should have been thankful you know I should have been like oh my god you know but she was the one I wanted to say hey you were 19 I really messed up your life I'm so happy that you didn't you know get rid of me and you gave me a chance to live this awesome life (laughs) you know um I wanted to just hug the lady and say hey thanks for my life but instead he's like do you want to talk to your dad I'm like at this point going, okay, how do you still know my dad? I didn't imagine they would have been together. Yeah. So but then my dad calls me about five minutes late, later and I'm late for this meeting and I don't care. I'm, I'm at this, at this point sitting on my classroom floor, a mess, you know, luckily students weren't there that day. It was just like a prep day, you know, getting us all excited for the year. And then my dad calls me and he starts talking to me and he is just heartbroken to tell me about I'd never get to meet my mom. She had died of cancer too, lung cancer, brain cancer. I'm like, oh my God, no, you don't understand. You know, at this time, this person was Mel. You know, I'm like, you don't understand Mel. <laughs> like I couldn't call him dad at that point. You know, my my adoptive mom is dying of cancer. You don't, don't tell me that. That's so crazy. The world took my, you know, birth mom from cancer too. You can't be telling me this. But he did and we talked and he's like and by the way your mom and i got married and we had a family you have three brothers i'm like i have full brothers yeah I'm like what <laughs> i'm like what do you mean you stay together you gave me up and then went on with your lives and still stayed together and then yeah now how did that feel like in the long run i mean i was i was kind of like really you know that kind of that kind of hurt at first i'm like what you know but they probably regretted that though i mean oh my gosh yeah they probably were like we want her back (laughs) you know they did and they you know they don't tell me the stories of what went on between the time that i was given up for adoption and they got married and everything else but my brother travis my first younger brother the oldest of the three uh they were together and they were a couple and they had actually moved all the way across the country uh, to be with uh, my brother's dad, just trying for a new life kind of thing. And then they got pregnant with Travis. So they weren't married yet, got pregnant with Travis, came back with baby Travis in tow and tied the knot and just basically told the whole big family, the whole big Irish Catholic family, like, look, this is how this is going down. This is our son. We're getting married. And then they had two other kids and, you know, had a family. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So three brothers, they're all still around. They are. They are. And 
they have families of their own and I've gotten to meet all of their children. I got to hold, you know, my two younger brothers' babies that are just like, just both turned, well, one of them turns one in a couple days, the other one, you know, just turned one. It's just crazy. I mean, both COVID babies, you know, just, so I've gotten to be a part of a pretty cool part of their lives. And my youngest brother is actually getting married this fall. Um, you know, he, he also did two things, you know, the, the traditional way, I guess my grandparents would have said, but he had a baby boy and he's been with his fiance for a while and they're getting married this fall. And she has a baby from, well, not a baby. He's much older. He's a nine year old, but they have a son from a previous marriage. So they're a blended family. And it's just, it's been one big story of love. It's just been like, this is where we're at. This is how it was, but we're going to live in the present and just embrace the love that we have, you know, not, not move backward, but move forward. So how was the reunion? Did do you feel like that puzzle piece that fit finally or? It did. And it was such a whirlwind. So I found out in August and I knew I had to come home, you know, back to New York, which I didn't ever plan on coming back from Colorado, honestly. Um, but at that point, uh, over that Christmas break between the time that I found them and with my adoptive mom getting progressively sicker, I really felt in my heart we needed to be home. I said, you know what? This tenure job is awesome and Colorado is like Narnia. It's paradise. But I really feel I need to be I I need to be home. I need to be home and I need to be there for my sister and my mom in however capacity I can during her last month. So I I resigned. You know, I said, All right, look at we have to sign our contracts in April. I'm not signing one. I'm moving back to New York. And I applied for all these jobs and there were no jobs. So I took, you know, I had to come back one weekend and basically like lightning interview for three jobs. I was offered all three, which was cool. Nice. But that same weekend, I met my birth family. Oh, wow. I visited my mom. I interviewed for the jobs. And then it was a March afternoon. It was chilly. Um. Uh, a good friend of ours, our uh, our best man, let me borrow his car to do all this traveling, you know, so I didn't have to rent a car. And uh, they had, it was overwhelming. They had a house full in the house I would have grown up in across from that church. My mom's family, who eh, they don't get along with all the time. Um, some of those members were there. Everybody was there just to meet me. Wow. And it, it was like my anxiety was like, whoa. Um, but I mean, my dad greeted me on the porch and showed me in the house and asked if he could hug me and it just, and my little brother has had like such anxiety over the thing, my, my youngest brother, and he hugged me and just, wow. um, it was, it was surreal though. I, I do, I look like a carbon copy of a woman I never met, um, and I'm the only one who has blue eyes. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Like when you finally do see someone that looks like you and you've grown up your whole life, like not having that connection with anyone. And I even had like mannerisms of my birth mother and just the way we talked. And it was so weird. So weird. I I can only imagine how your reunion was too. Just like yeah. you, you can't really put into words, right? Like 
the feeling or the emotions that's going on at that moment and just but it was weird it like kind of kind of made things weirder for me because they're like you're your mom's twin you sound like her you look like her i mean they showed me pictures and i was just like whoa (laughs) it was surreal and then I had saying a few things to my dad over the couple last couple of months because he was a music teacher and he was a professional musician. So, you know, just for kicks and giggles, I, you know, sang some things over the phone. But and then my brother played my mom singing and I just almost couldn't talk. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, just it got weirder. So did your brothers know about you? One of them did. Growing up or? One of them did. The other two didn't. And I don't know what kind of deal that they had. But um, my mom's family had made a very specific deal that they didn't talk about me. So somewhere in the, from what I understand, because we don't, we don't talk about lots of things, but somewhere in the point where my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was passing of her cancer and my, and my uh, birth mother was taking care of her, something came out of the wash, out of the dirty laundry that. I was around and my middle brother found out about me. So dad, um, after talking to me on the phone, after getting the email from the mayor, (laughs) you know, he passed it on with my permission. Um, you know, asked permission if I could, he could share this information with my brothers. I'm like, yeah, of course. And I, I sent a whole bunch of pictures at that point and there was no question, you know, that I was who I said I was. And, so we had like a family meeting and invited my brothers one by one to look at the email, to look at the pictures. And then they sat down together and, and talked. And one by one, I started getting permission to my dad to text them. And we started texting. We started calling each other. We started sharing pictures. We hopped on each other's Facebooks. We, before that March day, even we, started getting to know each other and establishing what we could of, Hey, you know, I, I may not have grown up with you, but I always had a love for your mom. You know, now I'm looking to establish a relationship with you as a human being and let you know, you know, I love you as a person, you know, as a, as a human being. And I hope that we can call each other some semblance of family over the time that we have left together because none of us are young. I mean, I'm going to be 50 in three years. My brothers aren't that much behind me. Yeah. Just, we might as well make the time that we have left and, and thank God we did because I only had about three years with my dad before he passed to COVID this fall. I, I would have never gotten to know him if I hadn't been open to that. So you had said, you'd mentioned that to me about him passing recently, um, but you also mentioned that meeting him changed the direction of your life. So can you kind of tell us what, why that happened? What happened with that? So I never, you know, I always wanted that maternal bond because I, my, my adoptive mom was the most incredible mom. She gave her lives to us. She was great. I mean, I had no complaints, but we just didn't get each other, get along. So I wanted, I wanted to see if I could get along with my biological mom. And then I found out I'd never meet her. I'm like, well, I've got this really cool sounded dad. No wonder I can sing and I love music and everything else. Um, so I tapped into it and I really got to know him. I mean, he was a musician. He performed, he had students, he worked at a local community college. He had a studio before COVID COVID stripped that of him. That really, I think is 
one thing that ruined his spirit, um, just taking his music away from him. Yeah. But, and then he literally got COVID because he played a, uh, what do you call it? A charity show, you know, a, uh, a volunteer show for veterans. He did that every year. He gave his time and his love of music and he did that for, uh, you know, a benefit for veterans. And that's, that's the last performance he gave. Mm. And, you know, I had gone hiking and he's like, I'm like, should I stick around? Talking to my brother's like, no, we would want you to go hike those mountains that you got a challenge for. And I did. And I got home that week. And so that was a Monday. And, uh, two days later, I, I'm in my classroom and I missed my last phone call from him. He was calling to say goodbye, but I was teaching and, uh, went to call him back and couldn't get a hold of him. And a little while later, my, my brother called and said he passed, but, uh, his funeral, his funeral is what changed the direction of my life. So no, you know, all, all sorts of people have had a really bum deal with funerals during COVID because you can't yeah. get close to people, the masks, the blah, blah, blah. Well, it was safe enough that at the funeral home that we had it, we could get in our family little line. We had to wear masks. People had to wear masks, but we could still talk at a certain distance. We could still touch if we wanted to, <laughs> you know, I mean, I got lots of hugs that day and all that kind of stuff at my own risk, but the people who came through that line just shared story after story after story. Your dad touched my life as a musician in this way. I sang with your dad. He composed this music for me. And then my uncle, um, my dad's brother, gave the eulogy and talked about that wasn't always the way that my dad lived. My dad made a conscious decision one day with a family <laughs> working a regular job and said, this is not working for me. I want to be a musician and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what he did. I mean, if he hadn't made that authentic decision to do what was important to his heart and what lit up his soul, all those people wouldn't been there paying homage to him. I mean, working at some store, great. You know, he was earning money, doing the right thing for his family, but he followed his heart. He did what lit him up. And that, rocked my world. I'm like, uh, I don't think I'm doing what lights me up. And it hit like a, a rock in my heart because a week later, or not a week earlier, a couple days earlier, I had been walking around the town that I'm living in right now. And I walked by the Adirondack Center for writing. I go, man, wouldn't that be the best job ever just to write for a living? I said, I'm a public school teacher. What am I even thinking about? I should be just thankful that I have that. And then you know, that was that weekend. And then I go to my dad's funeral and all this comes and I'm like, holy crap, girl, <laughs> you're not getting any younger. What stories are you going to have at your funeral? Because the way it's going now, you have students' lives you've touched and everything else, but it's not going to be following your heart. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, dad would want you to do something that lights you up. Dad would want you to be a writer, a creative. He was a musician. I'm a writer. But I stood there and I'm like, I can't, how am I supposed to do that? I'm like, I'm a tenured, you know, I'm on the tenure track. I have health insurance. I got all the cushy stuff. And then I didn't have to take care of it. The universe took care of it for me. I got so sick two weeks after my dad passed away that I was sick until April. 
and I had to give up my teaching job. Oh my gosh. Because I got so sick and you couldn't wear a mask with my sinus condition. So I was forced into a position of not teaching and I took that time to heal through writing and I'm being published. I have two books coming up. Wow. So I didn't even... What are your books about? I didn't even have to like make the choice. It was made for me. Um, and it, it sucked being sick, but um, my first one is a memoir and it is a self-healing memoir. So on one side of the page, on the left side, it has my story. And on the right-hand side, it encourages people to share their own story, to find their own voice, their true authentic voice through a journal prompt. Journaling has saved my life. With the publisher, I'm like, it has to have both. And then the second one is in a collection of stories that comes out next spring. um, And it's called Ignite Your Faith. So my anchor in life has been um, my belief in a sovereign love that holds us together. And I always believed like my mom was there, you know, in some shape or form. And I wanted to meet her and thank her. But, you know, even beyond that, I, I do believe there's, there's a higher power. I, I call the higher power God, you know, other people may call it something else, but, um, but ignite your faith, how that's been the anchor when things have been so awful, you know, and just so scary in life. That's, that's been what's held me up. Wow. So how did your adoptive, did your adopted family ever find out that you know your biological now? Did your mom ever, did you ever tell her before she passed? No, my mom was so far gone with her brain cancer that that information, I don't know if it would have even registered, but it would have probably hurt. So I, no, I didn't tell her. Nobody told her my um, adoptive dad. I did tell. I told him straight away. I'm like, look, those papers were there. This is what went down. And I'm meeting this people. Doesn't mean that you're replaced. It means that I have the right to meet people that God gave me on this journey. And I'm going for it. And my sister knew. And she was very supportive. My uh, my brother, who I grew up with, who was you know also adopted, he wasn't too cool with it because he was having trouble grieving our adoptive mom. But then he went on his own journey, a healing journey. And oh my gosh, like I met his birth mom. Oh wow! And it's hard for my sister and like the rest of our family to kind of wrap their heads around and hearts around. But I'm like, you don't get it unless you're adopted. You just don't get it. There's no replacement. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. You're not being replaced. I mean, you've lived your life with these people and you love them. And it is, it's hard to articulate what's missing, you know what I mean? And not make it hurtful to, you know, the adopted family because it has nothing to do with them at all. It's totally separate, totally separate. But it has to do with my integrity and my person as a whole that, that piece, you know, I will never get to meet my birth mom and that, that, that little hole in my heart, you know, yeah, I won't have that felt and, and that's okay. But I did meet my dad and I did, you know, I have my brothers and their family and, you know, even whether we're super close or we're not, we're still parts of whatever pain my mom went through in making the decision. I feel like I've healed some of her pain somehow that, yeah. That, what, what she had to go through and give me up. Yeah. It's nice that your parents were still together, that you have full 
biological, you know, brothers that can kind of fill in those gaps because she's not there and like tell you that you look like her, you sound like her and you know, all those things. That's nice. Yeah. The first time I held my son, I thought my heart was a lot more healed just because I looked into his eyes and I'm like, finally, I have someone to call my own. Yeah. Isn't that weird? (laughs) Yeah. And then seeing them, you know, and all our reflections in each other, you know, of both of our parents, even though I'm the spitting image and the only girl, um, just, it's pretty sweet. And I always said to my adoptive family, like, I have a Celtic soul. I'm like, I can't explain it, but every, everything to do with Irish music, Irish culture, Irish food. I went to Ireland, you know, I'm like, I wore an Irish ring. They're like, give it up, girl. You're Polish and Ukrainian. I'm like, no, that's how you raised me. But I have a Celtic soul. And sure enough, my mom, my mom was a hundred percent Irish. Of course. <laughs> that's funny. Cause I'm kind of the opposite. My adoptive family's like a hundred percent Italian and I relate to that more than my real, you know, gene culture. Um, cause I, my mom's mostly Danish and I'm like, I don't relate to any of that. Like it just doesn't, I'm like, no, I'm Italian. <laughs> yeah. It, you get the best of both worlds. Like my Ukrainian grandma, my, my grandmother, Liza was Ukrainian and I still hear, especially with the, the war going on now, that's brought up so many memories of her singing to me in Ukrainian when I was a baby and going to her church and everything, just that part of my tender heart goes out across the world now because of the way that I was raised with her culture. It's just so beautiful that you don't have to put a name on it or a name on a birth certificate or anything else. Just sometimes you just have to put the label of love and everything else falls away. Right. So you did mention that you have a couple books coming out. Don't you already have a book out? Um, I have not published before um, little things like in education journals, things like that. But this is my own personal memoir that comes out in February. And then the other one comes out in probably around May is when they're slating. So those are those are coming out. It's pretty exciting. I I can't wait to see how sharing some of my family's stories, you know, blesses them to know that they, they were a part of who I've become. Right. Now you also have a podcast. So tell us about that. So my podcast is about self-care. So during this journey of being laid flat on my back, sick for months, um, I had to put self-care as a priority. So I love hosting and holding space for Uh, women to share their stories about self-care and how it's transformed their own life through self-care. So if you have a self-care tip or a self-care story, I will host you on Beckoning Joy because we're always looking for more ways to increase our joy. And you're on all the major platforms. I'm on everything but Apple right now. We're trying to get some things worked out with my Apple accounts, but uh, pretty much everything else. And my host is Buzzsprout they're wonderful for new people who start podcasts and really need a lot of encouragement and support. Uh, my podcasting family who I'm going to podcasting school uses that. And so I, uh, have been hosting with them. I'll put all those links in the show notes so that if anyone wants to get a hold of you or wants to be on your show, um, do you have social media pages also? I do. So, Right now, I have just fully taken down my author site, my website, everything else, because I'm rebranding under 
connecting to my podcast. So on Instagram, you can find me at beckoning joy and then the number two day. So beckoning joy today, that's primarily where I'm doing all my social stuff. And then my brand launches on July 7th and that's beckon more joy LLC. So that's coming to a space near everybody soon. Oh my gosh. It sounds like a lot of work. It's joy. It's joyful work though. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. It was so, I just, I love hearing these stories. I can't hear, can't hear enough of them. So, um, and I wish you so much luck on your book and podcast and rebranding and all that. And we'll put all that in the show notes so that, um, anyone that wants to come find you can find you. Thank you. And what a, a gift it's been to me to be able to finally share, you know, publicly really, even before my book, my, uh, my adoption story. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I had such a great time talking to Rebecca and I hope you enjoyed her story. I just wanted to reiterate that when she met her birth father, what an impact that he had on her life and changed the trajectory of what she was doing and just reflecting and wanting to make a difference in other people's lives when she said, what were people going to say at her eulogy? What were they going to say? What impact was she going to have on other people's lives? And it just changed her, which I just thought was so special. So anyway, as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, can I ask you for a favor? Could you please leave a rating, comment, and share this podcast to friends, family, or to your social media pages? You have no idea how much these little gestures help get the word out about this podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe tab to get notified of future episodes so you won't miss a thing. You can also find my Instagram and Facebook links in the show notes if you would like to follow and support me there as well. Lastly, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Adoption Chronicles season of the podcast, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.